when we think about the Chinese zodiac, we have the 12 animals of the zodiac. Each one of these animals corresponds to one of the organs in the body, according to Chinese physiology. And so each one of the organs corresponds to one of the elements. So for instance, this year being the ox year, the ox corresponds to the liver in Chinese physiology. And then every year is also associated with one of the five elements. So the animal changes every year. The element changes every two years because you have a yin and a yang aspect of each element. That's our guest, Oli Smith, diplomat of oriental medicine, licensed acupuncturist, and certified Lu family lineage Qigong teacher. Oli has studied extensively around the country and around the world, including the Naropa Institute in Boulder, Colorado, the Oregon College of Oriental Medicine in Portland, Oregon, Florida State International University in Florence, Italy, where he studied the history of art and culture of Western civilization, and a clinical internship at the Nanjing International University of Traditional Chinese Medicine in Nanjing, China. His curiosity helped fuel his passionate search to understand the human condition and led to his embodiment of the timeless principles that serve as the basis of Chinese medicine. Stay tuned to hear our discussion of how Chinese astrology provides a meaningful context for current events and much, much more. I'm Lisa Byrne. And I'm Lori Gambacorda. We're your co-hosts. Welcome to the Epic Conscious Living Podcast, Transform Yourself, Impact the World. Educating, empowering, and inspiring you to live a spiritual, healthy, and sustainable lifestyle. Building a community that elevates consciousness for the greater good. We make it easy for you to be epic. If you're already a subscriber, thank you. We appreciate you. And if you haven't gotten a chance, please hit the subscribe button. Earlier, you talked about the cosmos and and when you mentioned the sun and the moon and the stars, it reminded me of you writing articles for us about the Chinese New Year. Can you go into a little bit of Chinese astrology and this year is the metal ox, correct? Correct. Yeah, so, the metal ox. Yeah. Can you talk about Chinese astrology and what the metal ox can offer us for this year? Sure. And kind of a, a preface to that is the way that I tend to relate to Chinese astrology is kind of through the lens of Chinese medicine, which is a little bit different than kind of the official Chinese astrology. And so, you know, Chinese astrology is is one of the more complex aspects of Chinese philosophy and, and Chinese medicine in general, just because there are what are known as the, the 10 heavenly stems and the 12 earthly branches. And these are manifestations of the five elements and yin and yang in the, the macrocosm. And so the 10 stems, you have the five elements, but you have a yin and a yang aspect of each of the five elements. So that's how you have these 10 stems that correspond to different constellations and, and different times of the year, different months of the year. And then you have the 12 earthly branches, which is the same yin and yang of each of the five elements. But then for each one of those, you're also adding an earth aspect because it's not just existing out in the heavens in the celestial domain. It's also how it manifests on earth. So that's how then you're getting the 12 branches. So each one of those 10 stems and 12 branches have different names and they have different relationships and, and it can get very complex, you know, and, um, and when I'm looking at, at Chinese astrology, I kind of keep it simpler than that, 
just for my own <laughs> ability to, to kind of conceptualize these things. But when we think about the Chinese zodiac, we have the 12 animals of the zodiac. Each one of these animals corresponds to one of the organs in the body, according to Chinese physiology. And so each one of the organs corresponds to one of the elements. And so, so there's that. So for instance, this year being the ox year, the ox corresponds to the liver in Chinese physiology. And then we're also, every year is also associated with one of the five elements. And so, so the animal changes every year, the element changes every two years because you have a yin and a yang aspect of each element. So last year was also a metal year. It was the year of the metal rat. And sometimes you'll see it written as it's the year of the yang metal rat because that's the first metal year. It's like the first one, it's rising up, it's yang. And this year is the year of the yin metal ox. So it's the second year and the, the metal is kind of on the decline. And also when we think about even the energies of a rat versus an ox, like, like rats are very quick, they move very fast and oxen are considered to be a little bit more, you know, kind of slow and steady trudging along. So if we're considering this concept of the ox and what it relates to according to Chinese physiology, and then if we're understanding or considering the element year of what it is being a metal year. And we think about the relationship between metal and ox, which corresponds to the liver, which corresponds to wood. So we're thinking about these dynamics between metal and wood and wood as expressed in a yin kind of way through the liver and through the ox, it gives us quite a lot to think about, <laughs> you know, in 12 years, it's going to be the year of the water ox. So that gives us a whole different kind of uh, a way of thinking about things because we're thinking about, again, the ox, which is the liver, which is wood in relationship to water. And so water and wood have a very different relationship than metal and wood. And I talked a little bit about this in the most recent article I wrote for you all around the Chinese New Year. I think you can look up online um, about, you know, the Chinese New Year and it's the year of the metal ox. So what does this mean? And you'll see things like, you know, oh, if you're a if you're a fire snake, then this might not be a good year for you to move into a new house with the door facing the east, or you're, you're going to make a lot of money or things like this. And so for me, I think that's less important. I'm less, less interested in, in whether these things are going to predict the future. And I'm more interested in, in just what do these concepts and what do these different dynamics and their relationships, kind of what types of frequencies come up? Like, like again, if we're thinking of them each one of these elements also correspond to musical notes. So if we're thinking about the note, the music, musical note that corresponds to metal and the musical note that corresponds to wood, like what's that sound created when they're played together? Like what does that feel like in my body? And then how can I harmonize with that? Because that's, that's what's most interesting to me. And I feel like that's what, what gives me the most opportunity to be able to engage intentionally with what's going on. So for you personally, if you look at the year of the metal rat and the year of the metal ox and you, and you put it in the context of the events that have happened, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, viruses and lockdowns and things like that, like ha just give us some of your thoughts on how you, how you perceived that through how you understand Chinese astrology. Sure. So, so the first thing to consider is that the, the rat is the first of the 12 animals of the zodiac. So, so the rat is the beginning of a 12 year cycle. And so 
that was kind of the thing that I was most interested in about last year was this is the beginning of a new cycle of a new 12 year cycle. Also the metal element relates to the lungs. It relates to the, the breath and really to the first breath that we take when we're born. And so thinking about it's the beginning of a new 12 year cycle. And it also happens to be a metal year. So this is kind of like a, a big beginning of something. And with the beginning of something, that also implies an end of something. So last year for me, before anything happened, like even you know at the end of 2019, just kind of looking at 2020 as we're coming into it, and it's going to be a metal rat year, the things that I was thinking about was, okay, here's this new cycle. So when was the last time was when, when a metal rat year happened? It was 1960. That was the beginning of a 12-year cycle. And if you think about all that happened in the world between 1960 and 1972, it's like, like you would have thought like a thousand years passed, you know, like people went into outer space. There was the civil rights movement. There was the women's rights movement. There was a whole consciousness explosion and an exploration of, of psychedelics and a melding of cultures and, and the world kind of getting to know itself and know each other in a, in a much deeper way. So I was kind of thinking about that. And so when we think about what happened last year, I think a lot definitely came up. And I feel like a lot of it was even related to what happened in those years from 1960 to 1972. It was almost like we were testing the integrity of some of those changes. Like there was the civil rights movement, but how much of that really changed? You know? And then we almost had like a resurfacing of that with the Black Lives Matter movement and all that was going on with, with all of that. And then and even with women's rights and the Me Too movement, and then looking at environmentalism and all that happened in the early stages of the shutdowns with coronavirus. And we were all amazed at, you know, dolphins swimming in the canals of Venice and the air is clean in New Delhi and all of these amazing changes that happened in such a short amount of time. And so I felt like that was a great opportunity to be able to see like, okay, here's like a new beginning where we're kind of, we're all having this opportunity to reset a little bit. And so I feel like that's something that kind of went on last year that, that to me corresponded with this idea of a year of, of a metal rat. And then this year, when we're thinking about the, the metal ox, so we're still in the beginning. And whereas rats are kind of like, you know, if we're thinking about rats and what they correspond to in the body, that's the gallbladder. And the gallbladder organ in the meridian for me, in Chinese physiology, my relationship to, to that concept, to that frequency of qi, doesn't have so much to do with the gallbladder organ. What it has a lot to do with is the interface between the nervous system and the rest of the body. If you look at the meridian, the gallbladder meridian, it begins right outside the eyes, it winds back and forth through the brain, and then it traverses all of the major joints in the body. And so you can almost see the metaphor in the trajectory of the meridian that the gallbladder is about first you have a vision and you think about like what what would i like to create what would i like my life to be like what do i want the world to look like from that vision we we work on creating a plan working through the brain and our mind and then once we have our plan we can then move forward and put that plan into action using all of the major joints in our body and so thinking about this this idea of, of visioning and coming up with visions and plans, which is what you do in the beginning of cycles. And, and it's the wood element. So we're thinking of planting seeds. And in the seed, there's the blueprint for the whole tree. So moving from the gallbladder to the liver, and we think about the liver and we think about the ox. And the ox 
you know, it, it can be two things, right? Like you can think of an ox like running wild, like the bulls of Pamplona or, you know, the bull in the China shop, or you can think about like an ox that's been kind of somewhat domesticated. And so it's being used to pull a plow to, to plow fields in an orderly way so that seeds can be planted, you know? And so we've just had this year, 2020, where all of this stuff came up, social, political, psychological, physiological, like all this type of stuff happened, gave us a chance to really kind of assess, I think for a lot of people, assess things that are most valuable, which again, corresponds to that metal element, things of value, things that have an inherent worth, like gold and silver and diamonds. And so what's most valuable? And, and again, like a lot of people who have recently re relocated to Durango. I've come into contact with some of them and they say like, yeah, I was living in a city. It was shut down. I was stuck in my apartment all the time. When I learned I could work remotely from anywhere, I wanted to be somewhere where I could be outside and get out into nature because that's what's important to me. That's what's of value, you know, or a lot of people are also reassessing like how they spend their time, you know, and, and what is important? Is it, you know, the material stuff or is it friends and family being able to interact with those people? And so I feel like, this yin ox metal ox year has more to do with the integration of some of those lessons that were learned. Like we had this big vision and we had this stuff that came up. It was all very young, even though we were all stuck inside a lot of the time, there was like a lot of activity happening. And so now this year is about integrating some of that. And like, what have we learned? And, and, you know, are we, are we still kind of pushing against things, you know, like an ox pushing against a wall? Or are we able to kind of shoulder our burdens like a big metal plow and kind of use it to, to move forward and chart a course that's going to be useful? So those are some of the things that I think about when, when I consider those dynamics. I find that interesting when you said about the, with the rat, you know, the nervous system, it's like, we're, we're kind of resetting all of that. And certainly people's nervous systems <laughs> were rocked a bit when this, when this came about and was like, Oh my God, what do we do? What's going on? Yeah. And, and it didn't stop like one thing after the other, after the other. Exactly. And, and then the liver this year, it's like detoxification is what I think of with that. And it's like, we need that. There is a pattern in the universe that exists that is always for us and is synchronous if we can recognize it. And so it's so interesting that you would have this type of synchronous alignment with, with the signs, like you're just talking about, it's like, okay, rat nervous system, kind of the breakdown, kind of the reset, and now detoxifying with the liver and, and thinking about all those kinds of things that happened last year and how we, how we move out of that state. Yeah. And, and an important thing I think to keep in mind too, when considering this is like differences of, of ways of thinking in the East and the West, and also coming back to this idea of providing context. And so, you know, Eastern philosophy and, and within Chinese medicine, it tends to be more inductive, whereas Western philosophy and even Western medicine tends to be more deductive. And so, so it's important to know that this doesn't necessarily mean that or doesn't like lead to that. It's, it's more of like, you know, these are the things that are happening. So how can we make sense of it? And so that's how we're using these, these symbols to kind of create a context for ourselves to, to create things. And I feel like what the symbols help us do is not so much 
kind of understand how things quote unquote are, but they, they allow us to see how our own mind is functioning and, and to kind of see that reflected in, in a way. And so I think that's also an important thing to consider. And I think this is why sometimes when we talk about these things, you know, more of these, these holistic concepts or methodologies, you know, very kind of Western minded, empirical reductionist scientific types of minds might say, oh, that's a whole bunch of baloney. And, and in a sense, it's true because you can't deduce things down to these things. You can induce things. And, and because we've induced things, it doesn't mean that that's what's actually going on. It's just telling us about our own inner workings and our own inner processes so that we can, again, create a context. But then even the context doesn't mean that that's what it is. It's just this is what we're working with. And so we, can, we have to understand that these are contexts that we're creating and that we have to hold them with an open hand. So we can use them as much as they're useful. But if we become so attached to them and attached to them being right or being how it actually is, then we start to actually run into their limitations and then they can start to become problematic. And that's where even coming back to what you were talking about before of like, why aren't these things taught earlier? And I feel like in part, in, in a sense, like they have been throughout time, they've just been very much related to the culture, their outgrowths of the culture. And when you're so enmeshed in the culture, you don't actually notice that you're being indoctrinated by your culture. And here in the West, we're such a hodgepodge of so many different cultures, and we've kind of become detached from any kind of culture. I feel like that's a, a common thing that we talk about in the West of like, we don't really have a culture necessarily. We're kind of co-opting other cultures, you know, or, or we have our expressions of culture that we don't even notice. So in, in one sense, I feel like these principles are taught, but when, when you're being taught them because you're a part of the culture, you might not notice you're being taught them. So, so they don't occur to you. And then if we're so separated from a culture, we don't get taught any kind of principles. But I think that's also part of the kind of benefit and part of the, the transformation that's happening on a global scale is that I feel like now, because we're, we're kind of, we've transcended a specific culture, we're not so enmeshed in it. So then we can actually choose to enter into different cultural practices or bring them on we actually become more aware of them because it's a choice that we're making now. But I think that's also where it's important that coming back to that idea of then noticing and being aware and noticing that we're choosing to enter into a culture, which is really a way of engaging with certain principles of, of relating to our environments and, and our experiences. And the more consciously that we can do that, the more we can then be conscious of those principles and engage with them consciously and also know that that's what we're doing. So we can do it in a way that's respectful or in a way that is appreciation, not just appropriation. And also even holding those concepts again with an open hand and, and being willing to put them down when we need to put them down and pick up something else because that's more useful at that particular time. And I feel like that's really, again, we're, where we're at as a consciousness and as a culture on the planet. It's like we're moving more towards this kind of integral transpersonal way of being that's not specific to any one thing you don't you know choose like well this is my culture that i'm going to enter into like i'm going to enter into chinese culture and that's just going to be it it's like i'm going to choose to enter into that because it has a lot of value and a lot of use to me but that's going to be included within this bigger context of which i exist as well 
And I think that's, that's a wonderful opportunity that we all have. But again, knowing that that's what we're doing is, is hugely important. Yeah, and I think to bring it back to the very beginning of the conversation and the Neijing and the Yellow Emperor being able to ask good questions. <laughs> because, you know, as you're talking about, you know, Western deductive science, you know, one of the things I've been observing is that people, they're using that word as if science is something you believe in or don't believe in, mm -hmm. right? So I choose to see my body in a particular way. I choose to put or not put certain things in it because I see my body in that light. And so somebody might call me unscientific or anti-science or whatever, but it's like, it, this isn't something you believe in or you don't believe in. It's a method of asking questions. And so the results that you're getting are only as good as the questions you're asking and the context those questions are arising in, right? And who is kind of directing um, the questions being asked and that and the outcomes that they're actually looking for. So um, you want to yeah. talk a little bit more about science <laughs> well, in that in that regard? Sure. Yeah. And, and again, that's where I feel like it also comes down to principles versus methods, you know? And so when we can understand certain principles, the methodology is secondary. That's one of the things I always like to remind people of as well is that science isn't a noun. Science is, a, it's a scientific method. You know, I mean, that's funny because there are a lot of people who claim to be very scientific who don't follow the scientific method very well. Like, can you, you, you form a hypothesis you test your hypothesis, you get your result, you reproduce your results multiple times, and then you share your answers with your friends. Like that's the scientific method, you know? And so that method isn't specific to any one realm that can be applied to anything and everything. And depending on the context that you have, just like you said, you're going to make different hypotheses and you can test the hypotheses. And if you get results, you can interpret those results within whatever context you're choosing to interpret them. But again, I feel like if you can, if you can reproduce results in a good way, in a consistent way, then that's being scientific. And I think that's where like Paramahansa Yogananda loves to talk about the, the science of God realization and I remember having this conversation with someone where it's like, that, that's a, an oxymoron, like that doesn't even make sense. And it's like, you know, we're, we're saying like Qigong isn't scientific, when really what we're saying in Qigong is that the hypothesis is that if you bring your awareness to the three treasures, to your body and your breath and your mind, you will come into a state, an expanded state or a Qigong state where you feel calm and the subjective experience of that, of, of that is a sense of calmness and ease and peace and well-being. And what the HeartMath Institute has provided with us with is the research that shows that the objective data that corresponds to that subjective experience is lower blood pressure and you know, relaxed heart rates and parasympathetic nervous system activity. And so... So that's very scientific because again, we have our hypothesis, we can test the hypothesis, we get a consistent result again and again and again, regardless of whoever is doing the practice, whatever cultural socioeconomic background they come from, when they bring their awareness to the three treasures, they get the parasympathetic nervous system response. And so I tell all my friends about the, the, three, the three treasures <laughs> in practicing Qigong. I feel like that's a very scientific 
thing that I'm doing, you know, so to say it doesn't correspond to science, you know, is, is not true. Now, if I were to just make some claim out of thin air, you know, and say like, well, this doesn't do anything and, or, or this does something with nothing to back it up with no, when, when pressed for evidence on how to do those things. So someone else can do it. If I'm not able to provide it, then yeah, that might be less quote unquote scientific. But again, I feel like a lot of the troubles in the world of people kind of communicating clearly just has to do with vocabulary, you know, because the world has gotten so big and because we are, we do have this mixing and melding of different cultures and different principles and, and different cultures have different words for the same principles. And so when we're, you know, when we're talking about the same thing, but we're not using the same language, it can be very difficult to understand each other. And so I think that's also something, you know, so I feel like really thinking about, you know, somebody who's telling me that, that Chinese medicine isn't scientific, really, I mean, I would say they probably just haven't looked into Chinese medicine enough to really understand its vocabulary well enough to make that statement. Because, you know, if you look into Chinese medicine, and again, not just the methods of Chinese medicine, but, but the underlying principles and, and the system of medicine that it is, you would see it's actually very scientific because again, there are these, there are hypotheses that are made. There are ways of testing those hypotheses and of getting consistent results. And anybody who's studied Chinese culture and Chinese medicine for, for any amount of time in any kind of deep way will see that over the centuries, things that have not worked and have not proven to be consistently reproducible, that they have been let go of out of Chinese medicine, and they're no not longer a part of the practices. And, and newer things have become integrated and have become a part of Chinese medicine. So Chinese medicine isn't some static thing that was created a couple thousand years ago, and we're still doing exactly as it was back then. You know, one of my teachers likes to talk about Chinese medicine as a, a wedding cake. You know, it has all these different layers to it. And one of the, the things I really appreciate about Chinese medicine and Chinese medical science that I think the Western science could probably do to, to learn from is that they don't necessarily throw things away, let's say, you know, so like there's a concept of, of possession that goes way back to the shamanic roots of Chinese medicine that's, you know, over 8,000, 10,000 years old. And this idea of possession and like being possessed by a spirit. Whereas nowadays, we still talk about this idea of possession but we're looking at it more in terms of being possessed by, for instance, certain autoimmune conditions can be considered a form of, of possession because there's a physiological aspect to it. And there's also a psychological aspect to it. And so like obsessive thinking can, and, and being so fixated and so unable to let something go, that thing has literally possessed you and it's affecting your life in negative ways. So that's, it's, it's a recontextualization of an older concept. So, so the fact that that can happen, I think is great because there's still use in there. This idea of possession, again, it has a, a quality of chi. It has a kind of energetic frequency that applies to other things that, that the original definition of the word may no longer apply to. And then also thinking about how when we come into contact with things that we don't fully understand, a lot of time in Western science, it's like, oh, well, that's just invalid data. That's useless. In, in a lot of Eastern philosophies, and especially in Chinese philosophy, what I really appreciate is that come into contact with data that you don't yet understand doesn't mean that it's not useless. It means we don't yet have the ability or the capacity to understand it. So we don't just throw it away. 
we allow it to remain. Allowing the mystery to remain is, I think, a very useful thing in science. And I think really the best and true scientists are hugely curious and are hugely tolerant of ambiguity and vagueness and of mystery. And I think people who aren't tolerant of those things but claim to be very scientific aren't very scientific. I think they're, they're wanting to be more like Spock, you know, or, or like a <laughs> robot or whatever, like somebody who, who knows all of the vocabulary and knows all of the answers already and is able to put everything into its box and it's all very logical and it makes sense. And to them, that's, that's being scientific. And, and I don't think that's necessarily true, you know, and, and really before the word scientist existed, there was the word natural philosopher. Like that's what scientists used to be referred to before they were called scientists. And so thinking of ourselves as natural philosophers in that we're engaging with our natural environment, we don't know, but we're curious and we're open to receiving input and allowing that input to percolate and marinate until we can make some type of sense of it, until we can be able to contextualize it in a way so that then once we have context, we can then create hypotheses that we can then test and then we can see if we can reproduce them and then talk about them with people. I feel like that's, that's a wonderful, wonderfully scientific way of being. And I think a, a very kind of fun and, and fruitful way of being, as opposed to like, who wants to already know everything that already exists? You know, I mean, first of all, I think that point of view is, is totally narcissistic and limited. Um, and if you don't agree, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> in that context, right? Yeah. Or, and, or like if, if you don't know, then it's not possible to know, you know, right. I mean, it's, it's like, I think that's, that's the whole thing. That's again, people who are deeply scientific know these things already that that's what science has proven to us. Like Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. If you know where something is in space, you can't know how fast it's moving. That's basically just another way of saying, if you know what something is, it's no longer that thing anymore, you know? Or if you can know where something is, or you can know how fast it's moving, then you can't know what or where it is. You can just know where it's not, you know? And so, <laughs> so I mean, that's, that's what we know about reality. That's like phenomenological reality. That's, that's, that's quantum physics trying to, you know, it's, it's like you can't get it. That's basically what the, num the first line of the Tao Te Ching says, is that the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. If you can know where something is in space, it is no longer that thing. So... I mean, we could have what, an entire other problem? conversation with you on quantum physics as well. <laughs> I mean, it's like life is a mystery and, and we should embrace it as such. Um, from and it's taken a long time, you know, it's been over a hundred years just for those concepts to kind of trickle into collective what, consciousness. Yeah, the collective consciousness. Yeah. yeah well, and, and I feel like it's because those people a hundred years ago, that's the leading edge of consciousness. And so, you know, it takes at least a hundred years for people to begin to catch up. And then as people catch up, then you have people who are going to rebel against the people who are catching up and want to go backwards, you know? And so, so yeah, it takes time, you know, and, and yeah, I imagine, you know, for those people being on the leading edge, it's, it must be a very lonely and difficult place, <laughs> you know? Yes. Oh. All of the great thought leaders and wisdom keepers of history, I think probably felt a bit alone and a bit like a rebel and on the edge and, and not supported necessarily, but 
that's what they yeah. came here to do. And, and yeah. we're grateful that they did. <laughs> well, and, and there is that, science, uh, that saying in science and in medicine that, you know, when you have a new idea, first they laugh at you, then they ridicule you, and then they vilify you, and then they accept your idea. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oli, every time we get to talk to you, it is an extreme pleasure, and the conversations are potent and, and thought provoking. So we thank you so much for, for being with us today and spending this time with us. And we didn't get into a lot of Qigong, but you did just mention it a bit. And we know that that's one of the things that's near and dear to your heart and offering that to people. So can you tell everyone how they can get a hold of you and how they can experience one of your Qigong classes? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, thanks, thanks to uh, COVID and the shutdowns, I've been doing my my Qigong classes online for, for, I guess, about a year now. Sheesh, <laughs> time flies. So now it's not limited to having to be in Durango and come in person to do a Qigong class. If you want to participate, uh, they are streamed online. And I am going to be, um, within the next month or so, being able to do them in person again outside. But uh, I am also going to continue to stream them as well. So there will be that option to do them in person or, or streaming. And so to learn more about that or to, to sign up to the list to where you can get the invite for the streaming classes, you just go to my website, which is openheartacupuncture.com. And down at the bottom of the first page, there's a place where you can sign up for the email list. And pretty much the only email that I send out is the links to the online uh, weekly Qigong class, which happens on Wednesday at 11 a.m., but the classes are recorded. So if you can't make that time, um, I can also send out links to the recorded classes. And Qigong is the Chinese medicine that you do for yourself. So, uh, and we so both, yeah. We've both experienced the classes with you. They're wonderful. So if people <laughs> yeah, are fun. listening, yeah, if people that are listening want to understand more about what you've been talking about between awareness and cultivating health and really having a significant opportunity to tap into your own body, breath, mind, Go experience a Qigong class. Yeah, thank you. Thanks thank you much. so much. Thank you. Again, we can, they can visit you at openheartacupuncture.com. Yes, openheartacupuncture.com. Or if anybody wants to send me an email, it's openheartacupuncture at gmail.com. And, you know, as you can probably tell, I love talking about this stuff. So if anybody has questions or, or things that they want to discuss, I'm always happy to do that. Great. And for more information about Epic, visit epicconsciousliving.com. Thank you, Oli. All right. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank it was you. really, really wonderful. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed it. To hear more great conversations that elevate consciousness, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Join our community at epicconsciousliving.com and get your free health tip ebook. We make it easy for you to be epic. We've chosen to drink better water and pass on plastics. We've been using Berkey water filters for over 10 years, and we truly love the quality and taste of our water. We want to let you know that we have an affiliate relationship with Berkey, so if you choose to make a purchase through our link, we will receive a small commission. Pass on plastics, drink better water, get peace of mind. EpicConsciousLiving.com backslash Berkey. That's EpicConsciousLiving.com backslash B-E-R-K-E-Y.